to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for listening to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Hope you guys are all doing very well this wonderful week. Um, it's been it's been a week. <laughs> so we are your hosts. So I am Jordan Porter, joined by the wonderful Yvonne Brandenburg. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey. It's been a week. (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah. (laughs) I feel, I feel like so many things have happened this week and I keep thinking I haven't accomplished very much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. But you know, we're getting through the week. (laughs) Woohoo. The week definitely went by a lot faster than I think I anticipated. Yeah, because what, kids started school for you, right? Yeah, last week was like our very first like real week without like all the orientation crap that we had to do the week before. So it was our first like real week of school and schoolwork and trying to figure out schedules. And so it was definitely a learning curve of trying to figure out, I'm going to go to work. Thank God my husband was on vacation. But then at the same time, like I kind of left him to fend for himself, (laughs) even though I did plan it out. But it was one of those things where I didn't really like follow up and me being neurotic, I should have followed up like just to make sure everything was getting done okay. And like, he did a good job, but there was job, Dad. where I was like, going, yeah, I was going through the books yesterday trying to plan for this week. And I was like, we didn't do some pages. It's like, we didn't, Aww. why didn't we do these lessons? And my husband, <laughs> my husband's like, well, I didn't see it. I was like, what do you mean you didn't see it? I had them tabbed. Like... <laughs> Oh my God. By the way, if you don't know what she's talking about, like, so she sends me this picture, I think it, what, last week? It was before school Mm -hmm. started. That was last Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Of the stack of books and Mm -hmm. textbooks with tabs. She tabbed the kids' books to make sure that they knew where they needed to be for what lesson on what day, which is Yep. amazing by the way that you did that because I don't even do that for my own stuff but yeah no it should have been fairly straightforward but kids are kids it should have been <laughs> kids are kids and like I think my husband like trusts my kids almost a little too much where he was like well I just assumed that they opened the book and did the pages because she marked the lesson complete and I was like she's nine <laughs> she, <laughs> you know like she thinks the lesson's complete. <laughs> yeah. So it was just like, <laughs> and like, he's like, well, I have to be with Connor so much more. And I'm like, I, which makes sense. He's a first grader. He's six. Yeah. Like, he needs a lot more help with it. And Bailey is a little bit more self-sufficient, but Bailey very much likes for someone to follow behind her. Mm. She's, you know, just she as like, as me. I was going to say, like, she likes the accountability kind of thing yeah. yeah like she likes someone to tell her that like yep you did it you did a good job and like she yeah she likes she likes that and I think that's why I thought she would thrive at the homeschool thing which I do think she still will once she figures it out and gets the hang of it it's still early on yeah but like I think she likes having the teachers there to be like you got a good grade and like all this stuff so mm. we went through her grades yesterday and stuff like that and so I think it'll hopefully help her and she's a planner like me, so she likes to know exactly what to do at what time. 
so we are trying to work on that and i i so hashtag mom i <laughs> bought a laminator <laughs> oh my gosh yes and then i printed out like literally like every 30 minute like schedules so it's like a monday through friday uh from 6 a.m to 5 30 probably i think it goes till 7 p.m actually and so every 30 minutes i can like write in something that they're supposed to be doing oh wow and so i'm literally and i laminated these so i can erase them every week <laughs> are they like in a binder or something like how yeah. are you yeah Wow. Yeah, they have their own little binders with all the passwords for everything that I laminated also so they couldn't ruin them. And like See this so is writing out their schedule. How Jordan got her VTS is she laminates and made yes. cards and everything. This is this is why because we're neurotic and we have binders yeah. and laminators. <laughs> I literally have it written down to like the minute of like 7 a.m. Wake up, brush teeth, get dressed, eat breakfast at 7.30. By 8 o'clock, you are on that computer and we are working on schoolwork. And then like I have breaks Ooh. written in there and lunch written on there. And I'm like, we are. I mean, honestly, though, th like you kind I mean, I don't. I obviously don't have kids, but like <laughs> I have a lot of friends that have kids and they're young kids. And that's the one thing about school that, you know, is, is important is that structure and being yeah. able to structure it. So even though they're not quote unquote in a school, right, they're still in school, mm -hmm. they still need that structure and it, you oh, know, because yeah. Bailey I, will very yeah. happily take two hours to do a lesson. Like she really likes to like take her time, but I'm like, it shouldn't take you two hours to complete this. So like, if I don't have it written down as to what she needs to be doing and it's almost to the point where now I have to kind of set a timer. I'm like, okay, well now you have to move on class is over and you can make it up at the end of the day <laughs> like mm. because she'll spend all day working on like certain things that don't really need to be worked on. Like right at that moment. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, so. I don't know what you're talking about. I never do that. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag so. i do it all the time and jordan gets mad at me <laughs> oh please she's like why are you working on that and i'm like hee hee because hee, i want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm a mom to everybody all the time it like literally never stops <laughs> i think that's the mom yeah. thing yeah mm -hmm. yeah so anyway but you well, know what i mean <laughs> but i but you know i that all like those those traits and those habits, you know, translate right to mm -hmm. real world, like being able to set yourself limitations and set, you know, think of schedules and, and goals and stuff. I mean, we all, it, and she's, yes, she's only nine, right? But learning how to be able to do that is, is really important. So definitely ugh, as frustrating as it is, it's, it's, yeah. Good sometime. <laughs> the crazy thing is, is if like she needs to be punished for, you know, for not actually reading instructions and doing what she needs to be doing because she's nine and she knows how to read instructions. Right. I can take away, like, I was like, oh, maybe I'll take away her cell phone for like not completing her homework or something like that. And I'm like, she doesn't care as much, but I'm like, all right, you don't get to go to gymnastics practice. And then she's like, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so she's funny. Like figuring out, figuring out the things that kids don't like. You're like, Oh no TV. And they're like, okay, no going mm -hmm. outside. No. Yeah. Or, you know, Which the is, opposite depending on the kid. 
right? I know I'm grateful that she's like, no, I want to go to practice versus like, no, you can take my cell phone. Like, it's no problem. Right. I don't even think she's touched her cell phone in like two weeks. I don't even know where it is. Like, it's wow. She only takes it with her like when she's like, she'll have it this week because she's going to my mom's house and I'm certain she'll text me questions and stuff like that for school. But yeah. um, Otherwise, she doesn't really use it. That's crazy. Hmm. I'm dealing with cat problems. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Which we have already discussed. It is kind of like having children. So. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I love my cats, but oh my gosh. I, you know, it, caring for two, they're geriatric. I mean, yeah. Two geriatric cats are fun. Um, there was a mm-hmm. there was a lot of poop issues this week, which is so much fun. And as an internal medicine technician, I'm just like, it'll get better. It'll get better. Oh my god, it's not getting better. It'll get better. <laughs> I'm just like, good lord. So, oh god. Yeah, just over the poop. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I feel like the last month and a half has been dealing with a lot of poop issues, and I'm like, can mm-hmm. we be done with the poop issues? Ranging anywhere from constipation to now another cat with like fecal incontinence. And I'm just like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, what is happening? You guys are killing me. <sighs> I think it's very I'd thankful rather... that I have laminate floors instead of carpet right now. Yeah. And very I'd rather thankful. probably deal with the poop than like cat pee. Yeah. Cause I have dealt with that in the past and um, yeah. with a different cat and yeah, that's just, it's a ugh. lot easier to clean up the poop. Cat yeah. Freaking lingers. Yeah. Cause it soaks into things and then you're just like, Oh my God. I agree. I would rather deal with poop cause you can clean that up fairly easily. So Although it it's grosser when you step in it. For sure. I'm like, Oh, pee, sure. poop. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's I a good thing that. that this is an internal medicine for vet techs podcast <laughs> because I feel like you guys right. would not be completely thrown off by talking about poop. <laughs> Cause if you are, you might be yeah, listening to the wrong podcast. So anyway. All right, well moving on. <laughs> A little bit of housekeeping this week. We launched our IMFVT, so the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs membership site last week um, on Sunday. So Yay. as we're recording this just a little over a week ago. Um, so thank you all to, thank you to those who have all joined already, which is great. We appreciate it. We hope that you are finding everything okay. We, yeah. we did have some technical difficulties on our original launch day, which did kind of throw <laughs> us off a little bit because we're like, it worked so well the first time. <laughs> Dude, I swear, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the technical issues definitely threw me off my game mm-hmm. for sure. Because then I sent emails with wrong links in them and I was like, oh my God. Like I apparently... And I was like, I just need to reset. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're vet techs. We're only like half IT people. Like, it's definitely still a learning curve for me where I'm like aggressively sending emails to IT people like, why isn't this working? And like, what do I do? Which is funny because I'm the IT person in our group. So, (laughs) Although I do have to say Jordan really like stepped up last weekend because I was busy 
for a couple of hours. And so she was doing a lot of stuff, which it was really funny. So mm-hmm. I, ha- I kind of have to tell the story. So it was like panicking. I was-, <laughs> I was like calling you and I was like, this isn't working. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, and I was at my friend's house um, in my little COVID bubble because we kind of all work together and see each other every day anyways. Um, but we were playing D and D which is funny because I haven't been playing that for very long, but it's, it's a little bit of a stress relief. So, so we were doing that and I'm sitting there at the table with my friends, but I also had mm-hmm. my laptop with me <laughs> and, and I'm like trying to play, but then I'd like get on, jump on the computer and work on some stuff with Jordan. And then I put the computer away and then she'd send me a text message about something else that was being a pain in the butt. So I'd pick up my computer and they're like, you okay over there? I'm like, I'm fine. Yeah. It wasn't um, stressful but- at all. I, I felt <laughs> so bad. I was, I was telling Matt, I was like, I oh, need no. to leave Yvonne alone, but I don't have a clue oh, what fine. I'm doing. I was like, so. Oh, it was, it was fine. I mean, honestly, like my friends were, they were like, yeah, no, you need to do I mean, that. So well. nobody was upset that I, I was like it. not paying attention. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We, we got it fixed. Um, there's still one little glitchy thing, but I think don't know if it's affecting anyone. So again, if you notice anything, please let us know. But uh, yeah, but the membership, it's nice because I like getting to know everybody and and that's been really cool. Figure out where everybody's at and, you know, it's been fun. Um, So we're definitely, you know, yeah. Appreciating everybody that's joined already, which is, which is cool. So our charter member price is only going on for one more week. Um, so if you are listening to this, the week of August 31st, September 1st, when we launched this episode, um, Mm -hmm. we have our special introductory charter member price for only one more week. Uh, right now we are doing $159 a year for membership or $16 a month. Um, and then after that, we will go up to our normal, just price of 249 per year. Or 25 a month. Yeah. yeah. Or 25 a month. And I, and I think it's really important to remember that, um, cause you know, Jordan and I are very much aware that 159 or 249, whichever price is, is a lot of money for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to pay it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like you could to your work and say, Hey, I want to join this membership there's continuing education and there's all these things that, you know, that I can be increasing, you know, some of the skill sets that I have. And, um, you know, I really want to make this part of my compensation package. So, you know, will you pay for my membership? Um, you know, and that is something well, that a lot of clinics will do is pay for a membership or pay for CE. Um, mm-hmm. and $159 a year is, it's cheap considering you're going to get over 40 hours of continued education. Yeah. Which will um, also continue to grow. I mean, like every week we're putting another episode up there. Um, so yeah, we've got more courses in the works, (laughs) more webinars in the works. We're we're working on more content. So, I mean, basically every week, every month, there's going to be more CE hours allowed on there. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and even, so, yeah, like right now it's less than like four bucks a CE hour, which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> There's not many other things you can get for like $4 a CE hour. Right. <laughs> so if you are interested in joining, go to www.internalmedicineforvettexmembership.com. We do not have an abbreviated version of that right now. No. And if you go to, I mean, I feel like internalmedicineforvettexmembership.com is 
fairly straightforward. But if you are familiar too with our regular website, which is internalmedicineforvettechs.com, if you click on the membership uh, button, it'll also send you over there. So, you know, you've got, there's a couple of ways to get to the membership site. And um, we do, if, you know, if you want, to just check it out a little bit without committing. Um, we do have a free membership, which uh, will get you access to the going beyond the uh, quick and dirty cross match. So there is that option as well, but you won't get access to the full site. Um, you'll basically get access to that course and, um, you know, kind of be able to see what the membership kind of looks like. So, you know, if for some reason you can't do the full price right now, there is the free membership. So you can sign up for that. Um, and then you can figure out if that's something that you want to do. But, but again, you won't have access to the CE for, uh, the podcast or some of the other courses. Um, but you know, sometimes you, you don't necessarily want to jump all the way in. So check out the website, internal medicine for vet membership.com. Um, go all the way to the bottom and you'll see the different options. So we do have a clinical membership as well. Um, so if you like, like if you talk to your work and you're like, Hey, there's the CE, um, the membership, there's also a clinical version. So if, if you've got, you know, five, 10 people in your clinic that all want to be part of it, there is that option too. So that, and again, that's all on the website. You can, you can see more information there. If you have other questions, just let us know. You can always email us. You can send us a Facebook message. Um, so we're, you know, happy to talk to you more about that if um, you have any questions. So that is the membership site and we would love for you to join us um, and uh, come along and and get your learn on. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so this week we're, um, this week is part two of our hepatitis, um, podcast episodes. So hepatitis, we're going to, we're going to talk about that and we're focusing on infectious agents, uh, this week. So if you want to know just general hepatitis, that's episode 46, uh, that we did last week. So we're going to kind of build on that one. Um, and this week it's hepatitis and infectious agents that anger the liver. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so again, this is, this is considered acute hepatitis. Uh, we, we talked about that a little bit last week as well. Um, so hepatitis, remember, um, hepatic is liver and then itis is inflammation. So again, this is inflammation of the liver. Uh, when we're talking about acute inflammation or well, acute inflammation, it's something that happens suddenly and it's usually considered severe, um, chronic hepatitis, it's more what we talked about last week, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's, yeah. 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 So this week is more of the acute. Um, so these patients usually come in feeling really crappy because, you know, really chronic, really fast. Yeah. And because like with chronic stuff, I feel like the body can compensate a little bit, mm-hmm. but just, just like with, you know, when stuff happens to us, if we get sick, suddenly we feel it more. Yeah, more acutely. Sure. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got that pun in there. Uh, 
She's yeah. like, oh, it's not funny. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, but be- <laughs> moving on. Um, but because the liver acts as like the main blood filter from the GI tract, so it's highly susceptible to infectious agents and, of course, many different toxins, which we will talk about a little yeah. bit, but I'm probably not going to dive too much into like the specifics of toxins, except for I'm sure I'll go on a rant about psychopomps. But um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so our acute hepatitis, it can affect canines or felines versus our chronic hepatitis mostly affects canines. I didn't put any specific breeds or ages because because there's a varying number of causes for acute hepatitis, it really can affect any creature. It doesn't have to be young, yeah. doesn't have to be old. There's certain like infectious agents that will really, really harm younger patients. And we'll talk about that briefly. Mm. But I mean, you can get a lepto patient that is five. You can get one that's five months. You can get one that's 15. Like it's not, there's a wide range. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the bacteria is like, oh, you're only a certain age. I'm never mind. I don't, I don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, not, that's, that's not how that no. works. <laughs> if only though. Okay. So as we kind of already talked about, um, acute hepatitis can obviously be acute. So very rapid <laughs> onset. Some of these patients may even come in on an emergency. I gotta say that a lot of them probably do. <laughs> yeah. I, no. Yeah, I was going to say for in internal medicine, I don't think we get a lot of consults <laughs> scheduled for acute hepatitis. It's usually, you know, either comes in through the emergency department mm-hmm. or it's, you know, transferred from a primary vet. Yeah. It's very rarely that you'll get it in a consult. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So clinical signs, kind of as we talked about last week, can really be... They're not necessarily vague because of all these patients usually coming in on emergency. They're acutely sick. They're like rapidly yesterday they're fine. Mm -hmm. And now today they're vomiting, diarrhea, anorexic. Um, They can have depression, not like clinical depression, but (laughs) they can be depressed, meaning they have lowered activity level. (laughs) Yeah. Lethargy. Um, They can have dehydration, fever. Some of them can even be jaundiced, like we talked about last week. And then I know we touched on it just a little bit last week about coagulation deficiency. so yeah. they can come in where they've been lethargic and vomiting and diarrhea for a couple of days, but now they're having bloody urine. Maybe they're having some epistaxis, which is bleeding from the nose, petechiation on their gums or their belly, melana, um, which is black tarry stool. That's bad. Mm-hmm. If they come in with any or of that. Frank, I think like if they have, they also have Frank blood sometimes oh, yeah. too. So, and it's hard because again, just like with most internal medicine patients, we have to figure out what is the primary underlying thing? Is it liver not making coagulation factors mm-hmm. or is it platelets or is it, you know, so mm-hmm. it, 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 again, <laughs> it's figuring out all the things and putting it together. So yeah, exactly. And because you don't know first. if it's, yeah, because there's a lot of times if they do come in bleeding or with petechiation, you're like, oh, they have ITP. And then like you do a platelet smear and there's no platelets <laughs> and you're like, yes, they have ITP. And then you like run a chemistry and you're like, oh wait, their liver's failing. <laughs> like, it's just like a step-by-step, yeah. like trying to really 
narrow down the cause for some of the symptoms because I mean ITP patients mm -hmm. can definitely be lethargic and depressed and have anorexia and um so it's coagulation issues and yeah yeah it's good old I am like all the symptoms just kind of <laughs> very very similar <laughs> across the board um a lot of these patients with acute hepatitis can be hypoglycemic because as we know mm -hmm. the liver does process glucose and glycogen um so sometimes hypoglycemia is noted on their chemistry panels some of these patients have can have abdominal pain and discomfort um mm -hmm. especially too if you're having some of that peritonitis where maybe they do even just have like a mild hemorrhage like you're gonna have some abdominal mm, pain yeah it's interesting with the abdominal pain for hemorrhaging um so i had a coworker who this is so crazy she actually had an abdominal bleed mm -hmm. like it was random like it was very random but she said that that was like one of the most painful things she'd ever experienced yeah, my office manager had and that i was too. like Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, we don't think about the fact that having blood in your abdomen can be painful. And so it just remember to not put your pre preconceived notions on pets. Like, yeah. Look at them to see if they're painful. Well, and I think pets are a lot more stoic versus like humans can tell us like, no, that really, oh, for like, sure. it really, really hurts. Cause my office manager, we're wusses. Yeah. <laughs> my office manager had the same thing. She had like a acute, like abdominal bleed. And, um, she was like, it was so painful and like nothing helped. Like right? no medications. Oh. helped. And then like, even well, because think too, this is what gets me. And it wasn't until her and I talked about her situation because she just had to let the blood resorb, like the bleeding had stopped. And mm -hmm. so she had to let the blood resorb. And we do that all the time, but she was like, it was awful. It was painful. And my, like, you could, she's like, my entire insides were just like pissed off and angry until like all, yep. and they just weren't because every, it must have, like, it must have been the time where all the blood had resorbed. And I'm like, man, that kind of right. sucks that we like allow pets to do that. But, yeah. Well, and it, in, and, you know, when we, we talked, we had our pain episode too, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, using a pain scale is a good idea. And I think, I think it's, <laughs> I think as clinical staff, I, I think we are sometimes not great at recognizing pain. Um, mm -hmm. Like I even, I was a little bit surprised because with your, with your own personal pet, right? You, you see them day in, day out and you just go, oh, they're a little bit quieter because they're getting older. Well, age is not a sickness. You know, mm -hmm. we've, we've talked about that before. And so it's important to look at like the clinical signs and symptoms of being painful instead of just, you know, assuming, which is sometimes what we do. And, yeah. and then we're like, oh, whoops, now we've got some pain meds on board and they're acting perkier or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Or now they're so actually think, interested in food, even though they're not quite eating yet, but they're, right. they're showing interest in it. There's a, they're like, Ooh, food. Yeah. And then they like, <laughs> yeah. maybe go to take a look and they're like, uh, oh, maybe not quite like we're still a little nauseous, but at least we're not painful. So now we're interested in food. Um, yeah. Cause it's those patients that you have just laying in the cage and you think that they're just, I mean, like I've had several patients where I'm like, man, you're just a good patient. Like, but then they do progressively get better. And you're like, maybe you were uncomfortable or just really not feeling well. And they, they still remain good right. patients, but they're something about their mentality changes. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah. And then some of these patients too can have neurologic signs, which again, if you don't know the patient because mm. you don't love with them, you don't necessarily recognize if something's just a little off with them. However, some of the neurologic signs that yeah. I've seen when these patients do come in is because it's super severe. So they can have seizures, they can right. be obtunded, they can be blind. They, <laughs> severe cases can be, hmm. um, mm-hmm. hepatic encephalopathy is pretty big. We talked about it a little bit last week. We'll have a full episode on it because I like hemp- uh, hepatic encephalopathy. Um, <laughs> and hepatic encephalopathy actually results from liver cell necrosis, which I can't wait to get into like mm. the how and why of that. Because again, it's one of those diseases that I really like and I've just been reading like little bits on it. And I'm like, this makes so much more sense. <laughs> like, mm. Because you're like, how, yeah. I mean, like we know that the liver filters out toxins and we can make assumptions that hepatic encephalopathy occurs because the liver can't filter out toxins. Um, like our ammonia levels that... <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, the other thing too, with these patients is again, inflammation, infection, fever, right? Mm -hmm. So we also want to make sure we're checking temperatures and this could be, so looking at your, your primary vet records to see what their normal temperature is. Like if they usually come in at 99.9 for years and you got them coming in and they're 102.8, yeah, it's a mild fever, but that's a significant difference for them. So sometimes we we have to be aware of, you know, maybe even a little change could be a lot for that particular patient. Also, if they've got other diseases or other things going on where, you know, we're suppressing the immune system and now they have a 102.8 temperature, that's different than a healthy pet, right? Mm-hmm. Versus the crazy dog that comes in that like bouncing off the walls. Yeah. One or two eights normal for them yeah, because they're crazy yeah. and neurotic. They've been sitting outside the door <laughs> in the sun, like just painting and like waiting to come in right? and tackle everybody. <laughs> right. It's like one Oh six outside and they're like 90, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or those exactly. clubs that come there's, in like there's differences. instantly stressing and like, <laughs> Ooh, yeah. And just like rapidly yeah. breathing, like making their time go, Oh God, I really don't like working on pugs. Or any brachycephalic breed. I was gonna say brachycephalic. Yeah, <laughs> like just the, the neurotic brachycephalic animals that just come in and you're like, oh god, it's like just keep. Even my own dog yesterday, <laughs> he was freaking chasing lizard, and it was like, I don't know, hundred degrees outside, and he came inside. And I was looking at him, I was like, oh my god, you're like blue, like, and so like I shut the door, but he goes like, he's stupid, he like. <laughs> He loves to be outside. He loves it. So he's barking at the back door. And I was like, Finn, just calm down. You're going to overheat. And I don't have to take you in for heat stroke. I'm going to have to give you plasma. And I can't afford that. And like, I'm just like, <laughs> all because he was chasing a lizard. And like, I couldn't get him to just. That's an I am mom right there. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to have to give you plasma. Yeah. And I'm <laughs> nice. Well, because like, dude, he was like, he was so red because he's a white dog. So like, of course mm-hmm. his eyes were like watering. He was so worked up from chasing this lizard in a hundred degrees. Oh and my God. like, he was, oh, 
I like filled up the water dish with like ice and like normally he likes to eat the ice out of the water dish but instead he was just like actually mm-hmm. like normally drinking and I was like see you're gonna like <laughs> you're gonna keel over I need you to chill <laughs> I was, like, so I like forced him to uh-huh. stay inside for like an hour and he was pissed at me about it he was like he kept barking at the back door and I was like I swear to god <laughs> like, they're like I may just let you out and no, I'm just kidding I know, right <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I told you I can't afford all those plasma transfusions. Like I just can't. I know, right? So this is why I have insurance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on. So our differential diagnosis <laughs> list. Um, we it's going to be everything that we discussed from last week, the chronic hepatitis episode, where all those still apply. But for the sake of acute hepatitis, we're just going to discuss like the possible causes for acute hepatitis. So yeah. We have our viral infections that can cause acute hepatitis. So the main one that really sticks out is canine infectious hepatitis, which is caused by the canine adenovirus one, which if you remember off of our vaccine labels. Have have you dealt with the, I was going to say, I don't know if I've ever dealt with one. Because most of our pets are vaccinated. I mean, hopefully. I know. So when I was reading up on it, it can present a lot like distemper. And I've seen a distemper case. Oh, right. Because I believe they're, they're related, mm-hmm. right? Because there's the CAV1 and CAV2. Yep. So, so yeah. So canine infectious hepatitis is caused by adenovirus 1, which is CAV1, which is related to the kennel cough 1, which is CAV2. Mm-hmm. So this is why um, we, vac- we can vaccinate for CAV2 two but still protect against but it covers for hepatitis and the reason they don't use cav1 anymore is because it causes the blue eye the blue eye is specific to cav1 and we just look this up to make sure that i wasn't full of poop because sometimes i wonder about myself (laughs) Um, but what happens is Um, The reason we don't do this anymore or we don't use it anymore is because what happens is the CAV1 vaccine with, because it's a modified live virus, there was a small percentage of um, dogs that actually developed anterior uveitis in the eye and caused edema, which is all, which looks like a blue eye. So there's some pets that when they first started using CAV1 would get this and they literally got like that corneal edema blue from the vaccine. So you have these young patients who are getting vaccinated who had this like weird reaction to it. Um, cause they said that it, what it is, is it's a hypersensitivity. So it's like an allergic reaction. Mm-hmm to the vaccine was causing this corneal edema, which is crazy. Um, but I remember this because we said that this was a board question, which is we use CAV2 and not CAV1. And um, what I'll do is I will make a copy of this information to put in our show notes. So if anybody wants to look it up, we have the, the link for it. But Lucky for us, CAV1 is actually pretty, it's pretty, it's a pretty stoic virus, but like, so it's resistant to like acid and formalin. However, bleach is a pretty effective disinfectant. So if you do have this type of case in your (laughs) hospital, the area should be cleaned with bleach. 
Um, the virus can survive outside the host though for weeks to months. So it's one of those things where if it's shed in the environment, it's, it's very, it can, it can continue to spread to other dogs in the environment. So it's hmm. kind of pretty, it's kind of, it's pretty important to talk to the client about that. So say you have a puppy come in with it and they have other puppies that you want to just inform them that wherever that puppy has been, that virus can survive in that area for a couple months even. Um, yeah, that's why it's important to do like the disinfection with a bleach solution, mm -hmm. like not straight bleach, please, please clients don't use straight <laughs> bleach. Um, but yeah, just to disinfect, especially in the house and, and, you know, cleaning any bedding and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So. Yeah. And the root in, of infection can occur just via ingestion. So this can be from saliva, urine, or feces. So dogs drinking out of the same water bowl, um, mm -hmm. dogs who like to eat other dogs poo or drink from puddles that maybe another dog or that walk through it and then clean their paws. Yeah. I mean, we can give some dogs the benefit of the doubt, but puppies are gross. So it's probably eating poo. <laughs> exactly. Um, however, the crazy thing that I found about this though too is that recovered dogs can actually continue to shed this virus for up to or greater than six months, which is crazy, even wow. after being treated. Client communication pretty is pretty one. important here. <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't play with other puppies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why we vaccinate. Yeah, so DIC, so disseminated intravascular coagulation, can occur, um, and it's likely to in, 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 is likely to occur in these patients because again, the inflammation and the overwhelm and stuff like that can lead to, um, you know, the, the rapid use of platelets and everything else. So unfortunately, um, prognosis can be very poor with these patients and mortality tends to be highest in the very young dogs. So young puppies that get this. <clears throat> and I think because so many of our, our puppies that we see are vaccinated, um, we don't live in an area where it's endemic to not vaccinate puppies. Um, I think that's why we don't see as much of it. But I, I can imagine, unfortunately, you know, like a puppy mill or something like that, you know, they, they may have a higher risk of this. Or if you have a puppy that's, you know, um, if you live in an area where there's a lot of strays or you know, dogs that get dumped in places. So that, that's probably where you're going to have more of a risk of the, um, the, the infectious hepatitis. Um, but the nice thing is, you know, we can test for it. So there's the ELISA test, there's serologic test, and then there's PCR um, testing. And so we can check to see, you know, have they been exposed to it? Do they have titers for it? Are they shedding it currently? So those are those are things we can look for. But again, with the vaccine, you know, we can, co we can cover for a, a one of the kennel coughs, because again, there's multiple strains of different um, infectious agents that can cause kennel cough and CAV2 um, can be one of them as well as Bordetella and all that stuff. So, you know, clients don't really think of infectious hepatitis, but they do think of kennel cough. So, you know, using your 
you know, DHLPP <laughs> or DHPP. This is included in that. Um, and so it'll, it'll cover for both. So. Um, other causes for acute hepatitis can be bacterial infections, which the big one that I think of is leptospirosis. I can't wait to actually have a full episode on leptospirosis because I think that I could. <laughs> so I'm only going to touch on a few Oh yeah. Things. I mean, there's so many things that lepto deals with. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's super common that lepto patients will actually present with acute renal failure and then maybe develop acute hepatitis with it. Sometimes mm -hmm. these patients may present with just acute hepatitis and not the renal disease with it. Um, but the majority mm -hmm. is, I think all the cases I've ever seen, they have both. Yeah. And this is, uh, it's hard because leptospirosis, it's a bacteria. So, you know, they pick it up fairly easily mm -hmm. if the bacteria is present. Um, the problem with it is it is zoonotic. So we need to be very careful when we're dealing with this. So if a doctor suspects it and is testing for it, at that point, you just have to assume that they have mm -hmm. it and treat them accordingly, oh, for accordingly sure. um, which is important. And I, I feel like I've seen it a bunch of times where they'll test for it, but before we have results, they're treating them like no big deal. And I'm like, no, 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 until you know this is negative because now you've tested for it. We have to assume it's positive yeah. until proven otherwise, which is I don't know. We're pretty strict about the whole, like if we even remotely suspect it, if it's just even on the differential list, but we really don't think it could be, we still write a sign that says possible lepto suspect, wear gloves, don't touch urine. Well, don't drink the urine. <laughs> it's well, like I think there's in my clinic, I feel like there's some doctors and techs that are better than others about if that is a suspicion, oh, for sure. they deal with it appropriately. Because if you don't know that that's a suspicion and nobody's put that sign on that says possible lepto. <laughs> so that was how I was exposed to lepto once. Oh, I that's right. <laughs> was, but uh. the urine got sent over. I, did, I was unaware of the case whatsoever. Like I was it was unfortunately very much a lack of communication. Mm. Like we were doing a different urine test. I think I was doing a BRAF test on this urine. So the owners or the RDVM had dropped off a bunch of urine samples for me to just put into like a BRAF container. But I was unaware that they had pending lepto tests <laughs> on this patient. Nice. So we had seen the patient for an outpatient ultrasound. So it's where we didn't really work up the case, but we did an ultrasound. And um, so I was unaware. And then my doctor was like, oh, that dog came back with lepto. And I was like, wait, what? I was like, didn't I do a BRAF test on that dog? Because like, mm. in my mind, those two are very, very different <laughs> disorders. I, was I would not go, oh, maybe it's, maybe it's TCC or lepto. Like those are very different. I mean, yes, you can have but yeah, think of them together. But luckily I was good because like the urine got sent over in the little like plastic white top tubes, mm. like a bunch of them. And of course for breath tests, you need 40 mils. So I'm taking the caps off of all these and dumping them in. <laughs> and I'm like, but with my lepto urine, I was a good, good person because I was wearing gloves as I was like, but I still got tested for lepto. Which is funny too, because humans, human doctors don't have a clue what lepto is. <sighs> like I went to urgent care because I was like, yeah, I handled lepto. Mind you, I was wearing gloves, but who knows if it splashed, like we're being cautious. Like maybe I need some doxycycline. And um, 
I had to explain to the doctor what leptospirosis was. And she was like, you know a lot about this. I was like, as should you. I was like, because it's a zoonotic disease prevalent in this area. Like, I don't understand. You're like, let me like, give you some reading. <laughs> human... Oh my God. It was, it was very interesting. Anyway, moving on. So leptospirosis is shed in urine, um, including wildlife urine. So dogs or cats who may drink, mind you, I've never seen lepto in a cat. So, so, okay. So we just went on a little bit of a, like, research rabbit hole for a second, because I've always been told that cats really don't get lepto um, because it is which rare. We did find that's but rare. They can get lepto, which is insane. Um, and there's some suspicion that that might be part of um, chronic renal failure in cats, which honestly makes sense. Especially and outdoor you, cats. Yeah, you got rodents that they're dealing with. But I think, I, yeah, interesting. I. But you think it'd be more prevalent in humans, like if you have an indoor-outdoor cat. I mean, maybe these cats aren't using an indoor litter box, and that's why it's not more noted. Mm. Because they're indoor-outdoor yeah. I think we, I... It is very, very interesting that we did find this information. Well, I was like, I know I, I wrote dogs and cats for a reason, but like... I don't, I don't think I've ever tested a cat for lepto. We never test for it. No, but it makes you wonder. Well, I mean, mind you, I wear gloves mm. for every cat I touch in general because I'm allergic, but like, it makes you wonder if like, you should really see the thing is, is like bacteria, careful when bacteria handling. Is scary. <laughs> That's right. Bacteria does Don't whatever care. it wants. So anyway, so dogs, dogs or cats who may drink from ponds or puddles um, or lakes or whatever with heavy wildlife tra traffic can definitely be susceptible to developing leptospirosis um and this goes for two like same thing just walking through a yard like if you're when i talk to clients i'm like do you live on a wooded lot do you have wildlife that treks through your backyard like raccoons or deer or anything like that because your pet can be walking through the urine in the grass and it's not necessarily like a puddle but then they clean their well, paws but, um, I was or say, but it's not just they drink i mean it's also rodents so that's i mean everybody has rodents so we yeah, should, yeah i mean yes you're gonna have a higher suspicion if you do have wooded area but just because they don't live in a wooded area doesn't mean that there was a they're not potentially exposed to it there was a study recently here in the savannah georgia area about because like after one of the hurricanes rodents had kind of just moved like savannah has a lot of rats like right a yeah lot of rats um but because of the hurricane like it kind of stirred up everything so we were seeing an increase in number of cases of leptospirosis in dogs mm. because of all these rats kind of just traveling a little bit more versus staying in their the like lower areas. areas and outside of houses yeah. and stuff yeah yeah and then not to mention the hurricane itself just kind of stirring everything yeah. up and a lot um, of water and a lot mm -hmm. of water so it was it was a, it was an interesting study i'll have to see if i can find that mm. again um but moving on, because again, we'll have a lepto episode, which I guess we will talk a little bit more about how cats can get yeah. lepto. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's going to be some research that is done between now and that episode. <laughs> right? <laughs> Wearing proper PPE, if suspected, is 
very much recommended. Yeah. Um, mind you, we should probably be wearing gloves and stuff like that when we're handling urine in general. <laughs> um, <Right. Yeah. laughs> I know that a lot of us don't. I know this because I've done it. But after my lepto scare, because I didn't know it was a lepto suspect, I was very proud of myself when I was wearing urine. Oh, <laughs> you were wearing, wearing urine. urine. When I was wearing it's like I got some <laughs> when I was wearing gloves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was very proud of myself. I was like, man, I don't normally do that. Good job, Jordan. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> suspicious. Yeah. Well, and yeah. not only that, but it's like I've also, I don't know about you, but <laughs> that tech Kelsey has this also, the the urine files. <laughs> <laughs> where it's like the, yeah. the ways the clients bring in urine. Well, uh, that's mm-hmm. another really good point too, is reminding clients to either wear gloves <laughs> or at a very minimum, thoroughly wash their hands after handling mm-hmm. urine um, because we don't yeah. want to. Yeah. That's the great thing about lepto is the organism is killed by very, like a lot of the commonly used disinfectants. Yeah. yeah. And once starting antibiotics, it doesn't shed as long as the canine infectious hepatitis. No, definitely <laughs> so, not. Yeah, what is it? Uh, wait, 24? 48, 48 hours after starting antibiotics. Appropriate but antibiotics. It is, yes, it is recommended, though, to still consider it a leptosuspect and wear proper yeah, PPE until the antibiotics are completely completed. Yeah. Um. But there's many tests available to test for leptospirosis. There's serology, there's MAT, ELISA, PCR. Um, I use PCR testing a lot. So PCR testing yeah. can be performed on the urine and should be performed before antibiotic administration. So pre-treatment yes. <laughs> samples, please. <laughs> yes, hopefully, I, and again, if it's a liver patient, um, you know, you're, you're hopefully not poking them without knowing coags. Um, but if you, you know, if you do have urine that was a cysto or you have a free catch urine, you know, ideally it's before antibiotics and we try, and this is one of the things with our emergency department is we try to remind them to get urine before antibiotics and just put it on hold if they're suspicious of anything infectious, because you could get negatives if, you know, you, you've got one dose mm-hmm. of antibiotics. So then, and then it's harder to get an answer. An answer. Yeah. Um, protozoal infections can also cause acute hepatitis. So things like toxoplasmosis, which affects more cats than dogs, which is why when I, when we were talking about what species and breeds can be affected, <laughs> cats and dogs can be affected. Um, I don't know what this next one is, but sir, sarcocystosis so the parasite it's it's, i was gonna say the protozoal so the sarcocystis which is there's yeah it's it is zoonotic and it causes Causes a lot of things um, when we briefly look it up it causes like muscle disorders (laughs) it causes gi infection like gi disruption and it it can also cause acute hepatitis which is why it's on my list i wasn't going to go in too far because I don't know if I've ever actually heard of this in vet men, but it's a thing. Um, toxoplasmosis, we're obviously going to see a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I think I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've all, we all know about that. Yeah. But toxo and sarcocystis and lepto, I mean, these are all zoonotic mm-hmm. diseases too. So that's just something 
to for us to keep in mind is I think I think I forget this a lot of times in that patients with hepatitis or um, kidney disease. I mean, more and more hepatitis. I think are are potential for zoonotic diseases. So again, try to be good and. <laughs> And wear your gloves and your PPE and stuff like that. And uh, don't ingest well, yeah. samples. I mean, we shouldn't be making yeah. a habit of that anyway, but you never know. Uh, <laughs> especially with masks yeah. now, it should be a lot easier to avoid that. <laughs> like touching something and then touching your mouth. I know. Hmm. Um, hmm, interesting. I wonder if uh, zoonotic diseases have gone down in the Lord, I hope so. since this all started. Not allowed to put like syringe caps in your mouth right. anymore and like anyway fungal that. infections can lead to acute hepatitis so systemic systemic candidiasis um again i'm not going to get into too many details because that is not my forte um we can have <laughs> immune mediated <laughs> acute hepatitis um we can also have idiopathic acute hepatitis mm -hmm. where we never find out the cause whether that be due to finances or clients or all of your tests coming back normal um Toxins are really big though. So again, we'll probably have a whole episode alone on toxins, but we talked about it a little bit last week where drugs can yeah. cause hepatitis. So our anti-convulsant drugs along with our NSAIDs are the kind of top two. We also have some, I mean, yep. Yeah, I think we talked about We also have some week. chemotherapy so, drugs yeah. that can upset the liver. A lot of drugs can upset the liver because the liver metabolizes it all. Yeah. Xylitol. Yeah, xylitol is pretty xylitol. big. Um, obviously, Ugh. we find that in gum, bubble gum. I've only seen ones. Well, and I and I was gonna say the 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 issue with xylitol is it's it's becoming more popular in products. Um, yeah. So like peanut butter, there was a new peanut butter that came out that had xylitol, which is something that we need to talk to clients about to make sure that they're not giving xylitol to their pets because if they use peanut butter to get medications in and they get one of the peanut butters with xylitol in it, that's a problem. Um, when we're calling in prescriptions to a pharmacy, um, I think yeah, especially when compounding stuff, is you want to make sure that like is it azithromycin. Is it, is it a, maybe gabapentin? There's a couple Azithromycin, of them. definitely. Yeah, there's a couple of them that are liquid syrupy things that they use xylitol for people because amoxicillin, too. Yeah. The pink amoxicillin can have xylitol in it. Oh, lovely. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's really important for us to have that conversation with the pharmacy. Just be like, just make sure it does not have xylitol in it because this is for a dog or a cat. Um, because we've all had those phone calls from the pharmacist questioning doses or drugs because they don't understand it's mm -hmm. for a veterinary patient instead of a human patient. Um, so making sure it goes the other way around and being like, this is for a veterinary patient. They cannot have yeah. xylitol. Um, yeah. Plants are pretty big. So I briefly mentioned sago palms earlier because we have a ton of them around here. Um, I feel which like they've gotten more... I feel like they've gotten more popular in my area too. Like they're definitely very pretty plants because they're like Me. 
a bushy palm, but they <laughs> hurt. Like they, they're super pokey. Like I have one on like next to my driveway. So when I get out of my car and I'm trying to walk into my garage, like I have to walk by one cause it's huge mm. and it always stabs me. And, um, but the crazy thing is, is, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but a lot of people don't know what sego palms actually look like. They're like, yeah, I know sego palms are toxic. No, I don't have any of those in my yard. And then I'll show them a picture and they're like, oh, yeah, we do have one of those because people expect them to be like actual palms, like yeah. palm tree kind of things. Um, and the seeds are super toxic. Yeah. I was talking to my doctor about it because he was like, when he used to work in Florida, he was like, I swear there's something about the ones in Florida that just none of the patients survived ever mm. like no matter what they did and now at least we have like a 50 50 rate mm. like it's very hit or miss but he's like you know in florida like they they don't survive mm. um mushrooms can also be hepatotoxic yeah um, we we have a flare-up of those when it gets when obviously when it's more rainy um and i feel like those ones are hard because it could be like one or two mushrooms, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't know that that dog or cat ate a mushroom. You have no idea. I, yeah, I have no idea if my dogs were to eat a mushroom in the backyard. Yeah, like I wouldn't because I don't either. go out with them. Like we have a fenced-in backyard. They have free reign of mm-hmm. their yard. Um, and then also like neoplasia can cause acute hepatitis. So right. specifically, think of like lymphoma just causes inflammation of the liver. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you do liver aspirates pending coags and you get lymphoma. Yeah. So neoplasia. So, um, and this is like on ultrasound, we'll usually see something that looks suspicious in the liver. So we'll aspirate it, comes back either lymphoma when it's like that big liver or if there's nodules in it. So again, you know, we get sent consults for elevated liver enzymes more for chronic elevations and then we'll see cancer um but i think like acute ones i feel like lymphoma is probably more like an acute hepatitis versus like a carcinoma or something like that i feel like is more of a chronic thing because it's slower to grow um, versus lymphoma i feel like it just kind of hits right it just the liver doesn't like it when things invade it so diagnostics, we're not going to dive too much into because it's very, very, very similar to last week's episode. <laughs> so we're going to run biochemistries. I am just going to kind of run through the diagnostics a little bit. Um, so ele- elevated ALT is very, very common. And when we talk about acute hepatitis, though, versus our chronic hepatitis, where it can be mildly elevated, acute hepatitis ALT tends to be markedly elevated. So it tends to be one of those ones where like even IM techs are like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> 2,000. Like, Ooh, <laughs> or greater than 10,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> versus like the chronic hepatitis is like 190. <laughs> You're like, mm. that's, that's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. You're here for what? <laughs> You're like, oh, let's work you up for Cushing's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, these patients can have an elevated ALP, elevated total bilirubin, decreased BUN, and that is from severe hepatic impairment, decreased mm. albumin, like we talked about last week, and decreased cholesterol. And then, of course, decreased glucose or hypoglycemia, kind of like we talked about earlier. If blood gases are available to you, I don't have we don't have blood I, gases. the problem with blood gases usually you have to do like an art stick and yep 
we're not going to do that on a patient that has potential bleeding issues. <laughs> so nope, <laughs> we go nope. But it's useful in the patients that you might suspect like hepatic encephalopathy yeah. because you can check their like ammonia levels. Um, you can also detect acidosis because a lot of these patients can actually become acidotic. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that. So bioacids um, can be run. However, if these patients are jaundiced, icterus can actually interfere with this testing. So it should not be performed if they're jaundiced. Um, And we Mm -hmm. tend to wait until after the T-billy has gone down. Yeah, exactly. So Mm -hmm. we'll still run it just closer to when they're feeling better. (laughs) Like when they're... Hopefully. Which can take a while for them to not be icteric anymore. So um, that's pretty important which we've done that before. We'll, we'll draw blood for bile acids. And then we're like, shoot, it's icteric. Like we don't want to waste the client's money. Yeah. Our CBCs. I mean, I feel like this is, it, it just really depends on what's going on. So you could have some dehydration, you could have anemia for sure. Um, and these tend to be, because cause we think of like hemorrhaging. So these tend to be like a regenerative anemia, unless it's been chronic, but, but again, we're talking acute hepatopathy. Um, so usually it's a, it's a regenerative anemia. Then we'll see a lot of times our white blood cells are elevated because we've got inflammation due to the infection or the opposite side where now we're overwhelmed. We've got sepsis going on and we've, we've just wiped out our white blood cells and now we've got a decreased amount. So we'll usually see, um, you know, you could see some band neutrophils or something like that going on. Um, but we can also, we'll usually see those toxic, um, toxic changes within a neutrophil. So extra vacuoles, doly bodies, um, and, and, you know, those are things you can look at in your, your blood smear and be like, Ooh, those neutrophils look toxic. I'm seeing some band neutrophils. You know, those are all things you can look at platelets, because platelets aren't usually a liver thing, right? Most of the times they're, mm-hmm. they're normal, but if you've got sepsis or something going on or SIRS or DIC, which is, again, these are all poor prognostic indicators, then you can have um, decreased number of platelets. Or if we've got a hemorrhage and the bone marrow is like, ah, I'm going to kick out more red blood cells. They also kick out more platelets just because things are bleeding. And so they want to stop the bleeding. They'll make more platelets. Why do you laugh at me when I say my, ah, oh! because <laughs> it's funny because you can picture the bone marrow going, oh my God, push off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I can just, it's just funny. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to dive too much into how we should check coags because I think we did that enough last week, but running a PT, APTT um, should be performed, especially if our patients are jaundiced. D-dimers can be performed if DIC is suspected and that might be elevated. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's hard because I feel we'll like talk about D-dimers that. is not something you're running in clinic. And so by the time- No, you send it out. And so they're this- like, cool. Well, yeah, we already knew they were in DIC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the that's why we never run D-dimers is because my boss is like, by the time we get the results, either pa- either the patient's better or it's dead. Yeah, and it's just like, so you can you can do a- um, 
you do a VCM or the still Instagram. <laughs> I <know>. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone should get one. Let's mention let's mention it every episode, Yvonne. <laughs> Just because you're jealous they don't have one. We I mean honestly, we don't use them a ton, but we we do use them. I'm- I'm totes jelly, except for the fact that like, if you're using it pretty often, that kind of sucks that you're seeing those kind of patients so often. Well, but there's a lot of reasons to use it. Like, so, you know, if you've got a patient that you're suspicious of a bleeding disorder, right, you can see how long does it take to form a clot? How long does it take to break down a clot? So it can tell you if you're hypo or hypercoagulable, which is yeah, sometimes pretty important with how we treat <laughs> some of these patients. Um, and so, what? <laughs> right. Well, and for us, like pricing wise, like a PT PTT versus the viscoelastic ramp, they're they're about the same price for us. So it's like, oh really? Yeah. So it's not it's not like we're spending a thousand dollars on a VCM. Um, yeah. You know, it's it to us, it's about the same price. So a lot of times, our doctors will run a VCM instead of a PT PTT because you get sim- yeah. similar information slash a little bit more actually. So there's just, yeah, we're just not super familiar with it because we don't do it a ton. So yeah, that's fair. Um, kind of like last week, radiographs and ultrasound can be done again. I'm not going to touch on it a ton because we talked about it a lot last week where you can mm-hmm. see hepatomegaly, you can see ascites, um, from either hypoalbuminemia or hemorrhage so serology testing, ELISA testing, PCR testing should be performed to kind of help indicate if we're fighting some of the other diseases that we talked about above, mm-hmm. above that we talked about earlier, <laughs> um, like our lepto or our canine infectious hepatitis mm-hmm. biopsy. So liver biopsy, like we talked about last week, is technically the way to diagnose acute hepatitis. Again, coagulation status should be determined, but biopsy can be performed. If you've kind of ruled out everything else we talked about this last week, where you want to rule out all the infectious causes before you just do a liver biopsy. Um, So that would be an option, but treatment is definitely going to be geared towards treating the underlying cause if determined, not always determined. So supportive care is pretty important in these Mm, cases mm -hmm. just because you're really going to want to hit them with that fluid therapy so we use crystalloids for fluid replacement and correcting dehydration we use colloid therapy um, especially in our patients that are unable to maintain their oncotic pressure which can be due to hypoalbuminemia Mm. Um, we talked about antioxidant therapy last week with denimarin and vitamin e or same and vitamin e uh, as like a liver support protectant, GI supportive care because if we're battling vomiting, diarrhea, and nauseousness, or GI uh, bleeding, all that, or GI bleeding, or just decreased appetite, mm-hmm. we can definitely do GI supportive care. Hypoglycemia can be corrected with dextrose added to our fluids, vitamin K administration if we're battling our coagulopathies, plasma therapy for coagulation issues can be used as well, if mm-hmm. especially if severe. We use lactulose a lot if we have hepatic encephalopathy. Yep, same here. Um, which, again, we'll talk about why we use lactulose for hepatic encephalopathy <laughs> when we talk about hepatic encephalopathy. Yep. Antibiotics, of course, especially if we're dealing with infectious agents. Yeah. Um, 
or if we suspect left ovum, even if we can't do the test, you want to try to treat for it anyway. So say your clients do decline the $300 left PCR. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes we'll we do empirical treatment. And- we're like, okay, well, we're going to treat for it and hopefully that works. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there are some antidotes. So we use, <laughs> we Anos- quote unquote, antidotes. Yeah. For like our segopom toxicities, or if we just are potentially like, we're not really sure if it's a toxin, but we want to go ahead and treat it like it is. Mm-hmm. We use N-acetylcysteine a lot, especially in our segopom patients, um, yeah. which is a series of doses. It's not just, there's not a specific way to do it. Yeah. No, 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 no. There's a loading dose and then there's the regular doses for a certain number of doses. We'll talk about it at some point, I'm sure, because I love, I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with Segopalm cases mm. because they can be super sad, but they're good medicine cases. Like they're good, like intensive care cases, mm. I think but that, it really sucks I don't when you I've, can't fix them. Yeah. I don't think I've seen a ton of them. I think maybe maybe a handful yeah because they're not as um, common here yeah they're everywhere here everywhere yeah. um and then of course analgesic therapy like we want to treat the pain in these patients even if we're not 100 percent sure they're feeling painful right and then of course like yvonne mentioned last week nutrition is very important in our feeling patients anorexia is so common so we really want to avoid angering the liver more and leading to hepatic lipidosis so feeding tubes should be placed if necessary like if you can't get these patients eating with your gi um, your gi support and your fluid therapy and just your pain management yeah and i feel like I feel like it used to be super common to do like force feeding and syringe feeding and stuff like that. And I feel is definitely not the best option because now you're causing, you're causing food aversion and you're causing patients to be head shy. And so, you know, force feeding isn't a great option. A feeding tube, you know, depending on the patient, depending on the patient could be a nasogastric tube, right? Because again, if we're talking about a liver patient, it depends on where they're at. (laughs) Um, If it's a, if it's like a hepatic lipidosis, then we're going to do like an esophageal feeding tube, as long as our T-billy and our coags are okay, um, because that's going to be more long-term feeding. Um, you know, if we're just talking about something in the hospital, like an NG or an NE tube can work. But again, we don't want to starve our patients because that makes things worse. Um, So nutrition is very important. I think it's every pet, every time, Um, every patient, every time. So, um, you know, making sure we get the right things into our pets and getting the nutritional support that they need. And if you're doing like an NE or an NG tube, you know, it may be that we have a liquid diet that we're using versus, you know, the, 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 the other diets that we have um, options. So client communication is really important in these patients just because, A, you want to discuss with them that we might not completely heal the liver. We, it could always lead to chronic hepatitis. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like when obtaining a history, it's super important to just really discuss all possibilities with these clients. Mm-hmm. So possible toxins with owner, um, when obtaining a history, many owners are unaware of like toxic plants, like Sego palms, like I kind of already talked about, 
where I'll show them pictures in the room and they're like, oh yeah, actually like my dog does sleep under a bush like that in our backyard. And I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> um, owner's medications. So maybe they dropped a bottle on the floor and they're not really hundred percent sure if the dog got any right. or things like our type of NSAIDs, human NSAIDs that we know that dogs shouldn't get. Yeah. Um, also veterinary related NSAIDs. When were they started? What were they started for? And did, did we notice a change after starting a certain medication? Mm-hmm. Because people won't always correlate that. They're like, yeah, my dog was lumping. I started this medication. And then within like three days, he started vomiting. And, you know, it, things like that can definitely occur. There's no way to foretell if that's going to happen, which is kind of frustrating because clients will get a little upset about it. And they'll be like, well, you poisoned my dog. I'm like, no, your dog's just one of those ones that's well, and I- to this type of drug. And that's one of the reasons why we send home or we talk to them about, you know, the, the drug itself. Like we try to do our best, um, in our clinic to, um, we use the plums veterinary handouts. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys use those, but, uh, Mm -hmm. it's great because it's all there and it says small person. It's, you know, when you go to the pharmacy and you get the handout, (laughs) it's very similar to that. So if your, your clinic isn't Mm -hmm. using it, that's a great option. You get like one clinical membership or, you know, account, and then you can print those out and give them to clients or email them. We, we like emailing them to our clients right now. Um, and it talks about, you know, the contraindications or, the possible side effects to be, to be, you know, looking out for, because again, clients should be informed of that ahead of time to be monitoring for those mm-hmm. things instead of just being like, Oh my God, you never told me that that was a possible, you know, complication. And you're like, well, actually we did, but you know. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And simple things too. Like did the pet get into the garbage? Like my dogs would jump at the chance to get in the garbage mm-hmm. and I have kids. So yeah, the likelihood of my dog getting some bubble gum, it's probably pretty high. Mind you, pretty well drilled into my kids, but not everybody has a vet tech for a month. So like, I'm like, don't feed them grapes and, you know, throw the gum away in in this trash can and not the trash can upstairs that the dogs can get into. Yeah. Um, I've seen that we had a client or well, we had a patient get into a client's purse and eat the xylitol out of her purse. And then my personal dog, when I was taking her to school, when I was teaching, it was gross. Cause she's a dog. She, um, she started like, cause she was on pred. So she was super hungry. She mm-hmm. started surfing underneath the desks and would start mm-hmm. eating the gum underneath the desks. Cause kids are gross. Uh, They're gum under there. Yeah. And I was like, you guys, I'm like, if any of that xylitol gum, you're so in trouble. And they were like, Oh, we didn't even think about that. And I'm like, you're training to be technician. First off, stop putting your gum under the desk. It's disgusting. And my dog's going to rat you. Yeah. Out. Right. <laughs> like be an adult and throw it away. <laughs> like, put it in a piece of paper, put it in the garbage. I'd rather you do that than kill my dog yeah. with your xylitol gum. It was, it was a good teacher. Which one of my dogs definitely will get in. She's chewed holes in some of my bags because like, oh, yeah. I don't know what's wrong. I, I mean, I do know what's wrong with her, but she's like very, <laughs> If she even thinks that she smells something that potentially could be. Are you talking about your lab? Actually. No, no, no. Zara is actually pretty good. I'm talking about Dolce. She's a 16 year old. Who's just like, there doesn't Bailey or yeah, she's gotten into Bailey's backpack before because she knows that Ziploc bags usually hold food. Yeah. But she's, she's chewed up Ziploc bags that just have 
like spelling words in them. Like, like just oh, because cool. she associates a Ziploc bag with, <laughs> with treats. <laughs> yeah. That she, yeah. That she'll get into Ziploc bags, no matter like if it's just paper in them, she's gotten into Ziploc bags that have like pencils in them. Like she's. Ziploc bags Ziploc are amazing. Bag. My cats love them as well. Yeah. They usually hold amazing treats. Yeah. So, and then also discussing with our patient or our clients, do the pets have access to roam the woods? Is it an indoor outdoor cat? And you have no idea where it goes for the day. Right. Um, is it a dog who lives on a woodland, woodland lot with ponds and wildlife and all sorts of stuff where there's lepto present and, you know, like a barn cat, right? I, I think that a barn cat is going to be more susceptible if we're going to talk about oh for sure because rodents like are yeah yeah. (laughs) or if if you've got a hunter right like some cats are hunters and they just come home with birds and lizards and mice and rats and you're like thanks for the present but i really didn't want that dead rat on my doorstep or you know in my living room or you know wherever cats like to deposit their trophies (laughs) because cats are gross dogs will just eat it Cats will present it to you. (laughs) Other thing to talk to clients about, which is huge, is finishing your prescription of antibiotics. Um, I think we've soapboxed on this one a time or two in this podcast, but, you know, making sure that they finish it according to veterinarian instructions. And, you know, if, and, and this is something for us, is if we say recheck prior to running out of antibiotics, we probably need to set like a, a communication reminder to check in and see, you know, is an appointment scheduled? If not, contact the client, make sure we get that an, um, appointment scheduled so we can recheck liver values before they're out of the antibiotics. Because a lot of times, you know, if we are, if it is something infectious and, you know, we're looking at liver chemistries, once we, we want to keep seeing that downward trend until we get to normal and then we can stop the antibiotics and recheck liver values and see where we're at. So there's, there is that communication that it's not just like, yes, we're doing this, this course of antibiotics and then we're done. We may have to check the values and then, you know, even past that, go a little bit longer or say, nope, we're done. So it's, it's really important to have that communication with clients. So they understand that this isn't just like, Okay, take five days and you're done. Um, also discussing with clients that nutrition is important. If you say you send the pet home, because we do this sometimes where we send the patient home to see if they'll eat at home because they're more comfortable, especially cats. I was say, especially we cats. Give them, <laughs> we give them a certain timeline that we're like, okay, if we're not eating by such and such day at such and such time, then we are probably going to need to revisit the feeding tube discussion mm-hmm. and have you come back in, place the feeding tube, and then we can send you home again. Um, just because again, we really want to avoid that hepatic lipidosis from occurring. So cautions would be just wearing proper PPE when handling these patients just due to the unknown exposure of zoonotic diseases. Might not always be a zoonotic disease, could just be idiopathic, could be a toxin related thing, but you don't really know until you get testing back. Right. So just wear gloves. It's it's not that hard. And wash your hands Um, frequently. Yeah. like we should be doing right now anyway. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's the tip of the week. So tip of the week this week is just remember to ask a lot of questions to the client. So discuss things like vaccine history, especially because we have that canine infectious hepatitis that we could be dealing with. 
discuss access to wildlife, swimming in ponds. I ask that all the time, especially labs. Do they go swimming in ponds? <laughs> um, we don't have that many ponds do, in my neighborhood, so I don't even ask about that. I guess I should. It's crazy because we ask about it all the time, but because there's always alligators in ponds, we're like, I mean, A, you shouldn't be doing it anyway, but. <laughs> when, oh my God, there's no alligators around here. Oh yeah, there's alligators just living in pretty much every pond. Like I, I would not trust any animal going into any pond around here. <laughs> anyway, um, does the pet have a habit of eating foreign objects? Even cats. Cats can roam through purses and eat gum. Like it's it's yeah, they can definitely do that. <laughs> Are you a, missing any medications? Likely to eat the sweet stuff, but it doesn't no. mean that they won't just chew it up because they can like it's just Just chew on it you know (laughs) yeah um are you missing any medications at home how much of certain medications are you giving maybe they did start a certain medication that was prescribed misread the label Mm. you know it happens there's human error so maybe they are accidentally overdosing on some NSAIDs that can cause acute hepatitis are they a trash diver like I know my dogs are Did I happen to see that the trash can was knocked over? And no, I don't have a clue which dog did it, but it can happen. So that's my tip of the week. Ask all the questions. For these cases, I typically ask a lot more questions than my normal. (laughs) Well, and I think that's because it is a little bit of a like sleuth hunt type thing where you're like, okay, well, what, what is there? Any toxins, anything you can think of, um, because you never know what's going to spark in their memory. Be like, oh yeah, you know, we were over at our in-laws house and, you know, they, they had something there. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were at our parents' house and they have a Sego palm in their backyard that I didn't think about, but yeah. Yeah. So-and-so was overlaying by it. So it's just pretty important to open up the discussion as to what potentially could cause this for these patients. So, Mm -hmm. and now for the question of the week. So I think this week um, for our question of the week is what's a memorable uh, acute hepatitis case that you have seen? How did the case, you know, pan out? What happened with it? Um, What did you learn from it? Uh, So, you know, just, just let us know about some acute hepatitis. I like hep. Well, I mean, again, (laughs) I've already said I have a love hate relationship with psychopalm toxicity. Yeah. But that's because it's so prevalent here. And then, like I said, some of them just go down in flames and it sucks, but right. yeah, exactly. The ones that we can fix are great cases. Cause I'm like, man, they got all the plasma. They did like, we did this and this and this and good medicine. But anyway, all right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this week guys. And we do appreciate you listening. We'll put the resource in the show notes, of course, and we'll post the question of the week on Facebook and in our membership group, And then, yeah, let us know. Yeah. We appreciate everybody and hope you all have a good week. Yeah, exactly. So make sure to check Facebook and the membership and we'll, we'll answer those questions of the week. And if you have any questions, let us know. We, we, we obviously have questions ourselves, so we'll, um, we'll be (laughs) researching some stuff for future episodes, I'm sure. And then, uh, we'll kind of go from there. Cool. Anything else? we need to touch on or is that pretty much everything i think that's pretty much everything but sweet we will 
talk at you guys next week. All right. Just make sure if you want the uh, charter membership uh, price, do it this week. This week. Just do it before September 6th. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We'll have a wonderful week. We will uh, talk to you guys next week. And uh, keep getting your alarm on. All right, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.